So welcome back to Diaries of the Wild Ones. Once again, a huge thank you to Wild Earth Australia for supporting me in the adventurous lifestyle. If you guys need any gear for your next adventure, running, camping, climbing, hiking, you guys name it, these guys have it. So go to wildearth.com.au and put in the 10% discount code, my diary, all one word, capital letters, wildearth.com.au. Okay, so now you guys know that I live in Crescent Head and we love our little town and my friends and neighbours here have started Crescent Head Brewing Co. Not only do I love supporting small business, I love supporting just good humans. So let's give a big shout out to Crescent Head Brewing Co. And next time you come to our little town, stop into the tavern or the tavern bottle and support the locals. Two beers to choose from, a fruity XPA or a Chris Lager. Surf the point all day. Then have a Crescent Head Brewing Co. beer, watching the waves as the sun goes down. That's the point, right? Now remember, when you come to Creso, enjoy this beautiful place and our local beer. But remember to leave no trace and take your garbage with you, please, guys. Okay, so these last three episodes have been a family affair. First, we had Betty, the amazing lady living so remote in Iceland on a farm. Then her nephew, Palme, in the last episode as an Arctic expedition guide. And now you're about to meet his beautiful wife, Brindes. This episode is just a really nice chat and super relatable as she wasn't always a wild mountain woman, but through her own journey of life became one. Brindes is part of the search and rescue team in the north of Iceland. Now, unfortunately for us, the search and rescue team are not allowed to talk about any rescue missions they have done, which are some of the most crazy stories I've heard here in Iceland. Brenders is very humble, but let me tell you, she is a very capable mountaineer, and I love to share people's stories like this just to help inspire our next generation. You can't be what you can't see. And this chat reminds me we can all become anything we want to be. It's never too late to start learning something new. So I hope you like this episode. And stay tuned, guys, because the next episode after this, I'm finally going to put out the David Rastovich episode I did about the Cove documentary. So stay tuned and enjoy. So, Brindis, the reason why I wanted to, uh, you know, sit down and, and chat with you because I met you mm-hmm. doing crevasse training to our friend Steve, who was about to go to Swellbard yeah. for like a pretty insanely deep mission. And he was so confident. He was like, this is the person that needs to teach me, that needs to show me. And, and then I, I went up and met you and you're right in your element. There was a bit of a kind of like, I suppose, small blizzard that day. Mm-hmm. And um, we're on top of the frozen waterfall up there and we're doing some crevasse rescue. And I was looking at you and, and I was like, wow, what just so interesting. You know, I wonder how this person got to be who she is. So I think this is why um, I really want to sit down with you and and just kind of get to know you a little bit more. So where did, where did you grow up, 
Brind is. I got, <laughs> emphasizing yeah. that I'm saying your name right. Is it? I actually grew up in Namibia. Really? <laughs> yeah. Hot twist. Yeah, hot twist. <laughs> really? Uh, Did, yeah. It's just like Robert and David? Yeah, yeah. Really? The brothers? So I don't know them. But yeah, so my, my mom and dad moved there. They got a job. There was this like big company, the Icelandic company that started up over there and a lot of fishermen and people knowing like the fishing industry moved to Namibia. So how old were you when you... I was five when we moved. This was in 1994 and then we moved back in 2002 when I was um, 13. Ooh, so that's like pretty formative years. Yeah. So for those formative years for you being like an Icelandic girl, then growing up in like a hot, warm place, did you did you lose quite like a lot of your roots from Iceland? Um, or do you feel like like was it started becoming foreign to you like this um that the cold environment? No, I don't. I don't feel that. I don't think so. Uh, it. Well, Coming to the climate, it didn't take long to, you know, get used to that mm. at all. But there was definitely a bit of a culture shock moving back to Iceland. Why would you say? What was the difference? Just the culture in Namibia is just completely different. Just the, There's so much respect for your elders in Namibia. Yeah. And it just came to shock to me when, you know, being like in the eighth grade, <clears throat> And seeing how people at the same age as me were talking to the teachers, they yeah. were like just completely disrespectful. And I was just used to even if a person is one year older than you, you, you show this person respect. So that's more the Icelandic culture is respecting the elders? No, no. Oh, that's yeah. in Nabibi. Yeah. It, it's it's funny how, how you said that because I was at the library uh, working on the podcast actually a few weeks ago and there was all these like students in the library it was in um Kopervork down near uh, Reykjavik and um all these children came in and just started running amok in the Mm -hmm. library and they're playing and I was like looking around me and there's a few international students in there we're all like looking around like is anyone going to say anything Mm -hmm. and no one did so then I bought I bought it up with some Icelandic friends we were at the pool I was like and they're like, oh, like, no, kids here kind of don't get disciplined. They don't really. That's true. Yeah. And, and it's not and it's not for me to judge because, you know, mm. each their own. But I, I found that quite interesting because, like, these kids were, like, mm-hmm. really breaking the rules. But yeah. no one said anything. Right. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Like, is that. I honestly don't know. Um, I, I get, yeah, shocked so, all the time when seeing just how these kids react and then. They do something bad and they're like, you can't say anything to me. You can't touch me. You can't. And then like yeah. they're like the grownups are not allowed to talk back to the kids and the mm. kids know this and they they mm. just do whatever they want. I suppose it's super progressive. I suppose Iceland as well. It's um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just funny because I, I noticed it too. It's like how those kids are acting the other day. I was like, oh, my God. I'm, when I was a kid, I would have mm-hmm. got smacked hard for that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so so when you came back, so you had this sh- this kind of like I suppose culture shock in, in in this way, and so that's eighth grade mm-hmm. coming back to Iceland, like back to how was your first winter? Did it did it like spark like 
What, what did it do for you? When I you... was, of course, looking forward to it, you know, just being in Iceland again and because we had come to visit and you, but it was usually during the summer. So yeah. like didn't see snow that often. Um, of course, never in Namibia, but yeah, no, it was really, really great. I, I remember it being just a joyful yeah, and, and and when you're in Namibia, you still spoke Icelandic at home. Yeah, but you're speaking English at school. Yeah, so in my uh, school, um, English was taught as a first language, and then you we we were also taught Afrikaans. Oh, really? Yeah. So, was it rough? Like what? growing up, like you know, Iceland is like one of the safest places. Like right. no one locks their doors. No, you know what I mean. And my keys have never left the ignition. They just mm-hmm. the car stays unlocked. Even just now, I just went down to Steve's place. His car was unlocked. Mm-hmm. His place was un- You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like we went and did a laundry at our friend's house yesterday. They weren't home, but they just said, "Go go around." And it's just they don't, they said they. It was funny because they told me they don't even know if they've got a key. No. You know, but yeah. it's just like it's such a safe place. But then yeah. to to move like to yeah. Namibia, like was it scary? Was it rough? Um, I think it's just also what you're used to. Like I, I was five when I moved, so like I didn't know any different. Mm. Sort of, you know, I knew it was different in Iceland, and I knew there was some cultural differences, and also when it came to safety, um, I would never. I was never supposed to walk around alone. You know, mm. m- mainly just the. The regular like public streets was fine, but if I was going to the beach, that was like thirty minutes walk from my town. It wasn't a relatively small town. It was not like in Wolves Bay or Winter or anything like that. Yeah. So uh, the town I was in was Ludritz, and um, sometimes I heard about it like afterwards. Like I was a child, I didn't really realize back then. But sometimes I was followed home from school, and um, my mom found out from another person like in town they came up to my mom Jay, just so you know like i noticed somebody was f- following your daughter home and i i told them to leave you alone and i didn't realize yeah. you know and i was never supposed to go out alone after we, we didn't go out alone after four unless we were with our parents and that was just like normal for me like being there you know yeah don't go out after would you think those formative years for you toughened you up to the kind of like girl that you are today like do you do you reckon like growing up in Namibia it was a bit rougher and you had to be a bit more like kind of street smarts and a bit more yeah do you reckon that I think I definitely did get more street smarts that's something I realized uh after moving to Iceland because something that was common sense for me wasn't for people that were brought up in Iceland and I felt I could actually relate more to people like that weren't native Icelandic that had moved here to Iceland as well like mm. I felt like it relate more with those people it's funny because Robert and David two the two brothers that are surfers here and they they were saying they, they spent 10 years of their formative years in Namibia it was mm-hmm. the same thing they I get along with them really well yeah I met him in Indonesia and that's actually how I ended up in Iceland in the first place by becoming friends with them but they say the same thing it was like hard transition it was their, their roots to mm-hmm. come back to Iceland and everything. And it was what's in their blood and their native tongue and everything. But they, they said they, for them, they were saying they, they found like um, it was quite um, straighter kind of thing. And they got along with the foreigners a, a lot yeah. easier. And they were a bit more open to, I suppose, the foreigners. Like, right. I, I don't know. But yeah, it's just like, I, it's, they're very easygoing, very children. Yeah. And not that Icelandics aren't. Icelandics are such nice people. It's insane. 
but uh, it's yeah, I can see the difference. I can I can see I what you mean. I also felt like also um, I, I just have I had especially at that age I was just more open minded. Mm. Um, We'd seen whereas more of the world. people in Iceland like they we just like been living in our bubble, you know. Yeah. And and the most common destination for for vacations is like uh Mallorca or Tenerife or Denmark you know yeah. and they're always in their Icelandic bubble you know this it's not unless you go further than that and actually try to get different cultures that your mind opens up more and just the open-mindedness gives you also like understanding towards other people and um different mm. backgrounds of I guess we can maybe put it like in a box with empathy like it it gives you that um connection towards understanding people people and what they might be going through you know because in namibia we have like these like we have a lot more poverty there and you know then there's like the really rich people and then there's everything in between yeah it's funny because shelby and i were talking about this last night about just um having children and i was saying like i reckon like when they're 18 the first thing with me like to do as a father would want to be buying them around the world ticket i was like saying like that's probably the best thing i could do would be kick him in the butt to get like out the door to go like overseas somewhere just to kind of yeah. like see just different ways of living right you know what i mean and just see different um just to open your eyes and, and for me it's like that's like when i grew up on the gold coast in um australia it's like just the one set of conditioning it was hard to think outside the box because i've just always like Growing up, like kind of got told one story mm-hmm. and then once you start traveling you see these mm-hmm. other stories and mm-hmm. you're like oh wow i can i don't have to live like this i can take a bit of that story i can take a bit of that story you know what i mean yeah. you can start living living differently so when you moved back to iceland where did you move to to reykjavik yeah we moved to reykjavik right. and i was there for a few years i moved around a bit my first few years uh after coming back home uh, my mom and dad had recently divorced before moving back to Iceland. So I started off living with my mother and then I was with my father for a few years. Oh, and Palmer's just walked in. Yeah. Hey, Palmer, you're, you're, I was going to say your beautiful husband's just walked in <laughs> with the dogs. I'm just in the middle of interviewing your wife. Come in, come in and join Palmer. I got pants. Yes, sir. Okay, so at this age, were you an outdoors person? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, not really. Um, so I was like, I guess we can say I was trying to find myself like moving um, from uh, Namibia where I was definitely outdoorsy person. Um, I lived in the ocean, like I loved the water. Yeah. And my mom would always uh, make jokes of how she could never keep me dry because if there was water, I was in it, you know. Uh, so that was out of the question when moving to Iceland. Yeah, because it's just so cold. Yeah. <laughs> so h- how did you have that release? Or you, you couldn't, like, you know, that outdoorsy release when you come, because that's the hardest thing about Iceland is that the, the weather dictates and you can't mm-hmm. always go outside. Mm-hmm. So how did you have that release to find yourself when you're in those teenage years or you just didn't? I don't think I did, no. Yeah. It came in my 20s, I think. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like what I'm starting to point to, what I'm starting to get interested in here is like with this, it's like <clears throat> now you're this like outdoors woman, you know, you're in the search and rescue team here, you're mm-hmm. out skiing, you're, you know, you're doing the crevasse training for, for other people and stuff. And it's like 
where did this girl like start finding her strength mm-hmm. and, and finding herself to have that like kind of that inner inner ambition to go for that it's like where did that start coming in yeah so I think I was just if I can say I was quite lost you know I didn't realize because I didn't have um what's the words the role models you know to tell me like or show me what is available for someone uh my age at the time so and I feel like Icelandic people are quite mainstream and everybody's kind of just following the stream so Mm -hmm. for me it was basically just do football you know yeah like Uh, soccer what we call soccer. soccer yeah soccer and um I did that I really enjoyed that uh but then I stopped doing that because the coach stopped but then I was just kind of like I feel like I want to say just struggling with life in general um and then I discovered traveling and I did some traveling and I went also in Europe and then some Central America and then Indonesia and Sri Lanka and did that for a few years while working as well and then at one point I moved to Paris for a few months because I really wanted to learn French and it's funny it's like the typical like traveling around to find yourself it's like you went on your pilgrimage yeah for sure Uh, I didn't realize at the time but uh, the reason why I was like I really loved traveling it's because I was escaping my reality in Iceland. Like I wasn't happy with my reality in Iceland mm. at the time. So I was escaping that and, you know. And you um, didn't know yourself enough to feed that itch you had when no. you were in Iceland. No. So that's the thing about traveling too. It's like you find out who you are. Right. You learn so much about yourself. Just I've, I've put this down as like a very basic thing that you're literally just putting yourself in different situations that you don't know who you are in those situations Mm -hmm. or how to react or Mm -hmm. even if you like them or don't like them so when you go traveling it's like you're forced to go out of your comfort zone like out of the box that you live in and put yourself in different situations and so you see different parts of yourself you learn different things Mm -hmm. about yourself yeah and just also like meeting like completely different people with different backgrounds it gives you just a new site on the world and what it can offer. Was that a common thing when you were doing that for Icelandics to do that? Because now I, I like I meet a few Icelandics around the world. Not too many because there isn't too many Icelandic people. But you know what I mean. I've met quite a few, and you're like, oh, that you know they're out there traveling a bit. For you, when you were doing it, was it was it kind of frowned upon? I was like, what what is she no. doing? Um, I don't think I don't want to say it was really common. I think I started around 2012 and but then like later it we could see all these uh, advertisements for you know around like going around the, world r- around the world trips and stuff like that over like three or four months I wasn't really into that like doing it rushed I'd rather spend more time in one country rather than doing the yeah. rushed whole thing um I still like today like looking at these round the world trips that people have done. Yeah, I went to this and this this country. Yeah, but you were only there for two days. Like, yeah, so can, can you really say? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> different podcast. <laughs> yeah, the Kentucky tours. This is yeah, yeah, it's the same. I, I'm, I'm the exact same. It's like yeah. that's why when I come to Iceland, I'm here for months, not mm-hmm. just you know ten days or whatever. It's just so I can really, you know, you, you kind of end up with community. You kind of get to yeah. sit in in the community and 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 actually see how it works. Yeah. 
and I think that's the, that's the most beautiful part. Yeah. Yeah. So so when you came back to Iceland, like, you know, like, have you figured out who you are, or like? Do you... Yeah. So after I um, had been living in Paris, I moved to Iceland because I wanted just to save up more money to move back to France to, to cook. But now I want to go to the southern part of France so I can also like go surfing and and do more adventurous stuff. But I ended up staying for like two or three years and because I was offered like a really nice job and I was kind of stuck in that job. And then I quit and I didn't know what I was going to be doing after that. And I saw an advertisement for becoming a tour guide. Uh, This was a tour guide in Silvra, the one of the most clearest visibility dive sites in the world Where is in uh, Thingvellir National Park. Is this the crack yeah. between the two tectonic plates? Is that, am I saying that's that right? How, that's how they are marketing it. <laughs> yeah. um, as a scientist, I'm going to say that's not completely true. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so it was when I started to work there that I really like... Um, like started to love Iceland and really realizing what I love to do. This was, I think, 2016. Yeah, I started working there, end of 2016. And before that, I like I didn't really like the winter. I just wanted to move, go, go back traveling or go to France or like do something else. And but when I started working there, then then I was like, no, no, this is this is what I want to do. I want to be outside, and um, it was like an introduction for me as well to learn how to be outside. Yeah. Um, I had done um, dive training before, so I just had to do um, my di- finish my dive masters to become a tour guide in Silfra. So I did that, <clears throat> and um, I was working for this company for three years, and then went traveling for a bit for three months um i I had planned on quitting oh and then wait so i started working in silver 2016 and then in the autumn of 2017 i started my trainees with the search and rescue team as well so where did that come in to want to do the search and rescue team there's something i always wanted to do but um, I kind of always like was depending on doing it with someone else, like not going with just by myself. Yeah. And a it- friend of at the friend of mine at, at the time uh, who was also working as a tour guide, he was gonna go see because they have like this introductions of the teams because there's a lot of search and rescue teams. They're all like under the like working under the same like corporation. But um, like here in Sigliferder, there's one. There's one a different one in Olosferder and in Reykjavik. I don't know how there how many there are. There are a lot. Yeah. So uh, we went to do to look at two introductions, and we ended up going to Flugbergunasetten, um, although the ground um, and air search and rescue team. Did it did it make you like nervous? Like to look at the search and rescue team in Iceland and know knowing how important the search and rescue teams are here because of how wild this climate is did you ever question yourself like or was it something that you just knew you could just step up to 
I don't remember what was going through my head, but uh, I, I don't think I was nervous. Um, I just, I think I was more like thinking of just taking like one day at a time, yeah. you know? I, I wasn't, because I knew it was a, like a two-year training, but I wasn't telling myself, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to be the best. I'm just like, no, I'm just going to see what happens, and you know? And many girls, do many girls do it? Um, the ratio of like men and women like varies to between years i don't remember it was it was quite even but definitely more men maybe like 30 40 percent women in my team oh wow that's impressive uh yeah. we, we were like from the first trip so it's every other weekend and the team i ended up doing training with they're very strict and um they have put like more emphasis into like mountain uh, rescues and then there are other teams that are more like ocean rescues so you can like choose other teams depending on like what your interests are yeah i didn't really have a specific interest when i started out i just wanted to you know try it out and did you have much mountain knowledge at the time none really none so you literally like starting from like zero to yeah. kind of hero yeah kind of Wow. And I remember like some people like had been like wanting to do like this training with this team and have been thinking about it for many, many years. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to be like going to go start training with a mountain group because you know, then you can specialize and then train with a mountain group and then you can train with like the cars or the snowmobiles. And then people like were talking amongst themselves like, so which group are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe cars. I, have, I had no idea. And then um, I did my first mountaineering course and I was like, no, this, 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 this is what I want to do. So what, why is that? What did the mountains do for you? I don't know. Like, no, it was like just the learning of, you know, just living in the mountains and like the ropes and just yeah. everything, you know, it's just. So what do you have to do to become a search and rescue mountain, like mountain search and rescue in Iceland? Because I, like from all the ones you just said, like cars is like maybe, yeah, I, I just like the, the, the ones that scare me the most mm -hmm. would be the ocean here. Because mm -hmm. like imagine, imagine a boat in this, how big these oceans get and how wild the storms get out here. Mm -hmm. Imagine a boat capsized on having to try to rescue someone. That would be so scary. And the other thing that scares me the most is the mountains because these mountains turn in like a second. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. But do, do, did the mountains scare you? No. I've always, I don't know, I've always felt quite comfortable in the mountains. Wow. So, so what training do you have to do for it? Um... So it really varies between teams and now I've had the experience to actually go through a trainee program in Reykjavik where it's actually, they're trying to filter people out, you know. Yeah. Whereas here in Siglifjörður, a really small town, they're really trying to, you know, get people in. Like, hey, don't you want to, like, we'll try everything, you know, to try to get people to become of the team, part of the team. We were in Reykjavik, we were 60 people that started out in the program and i think we were like 25 people that ended up finishing it wow the whole thing and <clears throat> then from there like uh from my group that graduated together um 
some went on to like the mountaineering other people went to um, snowmobiles and another friend of mine is just like in the headquarters you know so when the call outs come in she's there by the computer and making sure everything is organized so how does it actually work like so you you do all this training so it's mountain rescue so you've got to learn basically you've got to learn like rope tactics yeah like what do you actually uh, yes sorry so like you go through like the trainee programs and there are courses and they are all in with the same like corporation Landsbjörg yeah. And um, they have kind of um, put it down. So you, you can do uh, rescue person one. And then there's just like all the basic courses. So you have like first help course one and then one avalanche course. So you're just like a basic search and rescue person if you finish these courses, like yeah. 10, 12 courses. And then there's a rescue person two. And then you'll have more like a little more specialized. And then you'll have rescue person three where it's just like special uh specialty courses it's a bit more in detail and uh with us i did like mountaineering one and two and then i did mountain rescue and then crevasse rescue as well so those are the courses that are within lundsberg that were taught and there's no rule because this is volunteer work. Yeah. There's no rule, I think, that says like I don't I don't have like a special stamp as a mountaineering rescue person. Yeah. I just know I have specialized in it. Yeah. You know. And the people I'm in a team with, they also know who I am and what I know and what Palme knows. And um but in Reykjavik they they have like your name uh, like on a board and next to your name are your like your speciality courses because everybody has finished the basic training there yeah but not here in Siglifjord necessarily because in Reykjavik they have too many people so the only time when you're allowed to go on call outs is if when you are done with the one or two years of training yeah right so how does it normally go down like is it normally like a skier or someone gets lost in the mountains or is someone trekking or like <clears throat> how does it normally go down where a call out will come in and it gets and then, then like the process gets initiated? Yeah. So um, there could be people like on a mountain hike and then they suddenly get, like get lost or are trapped somewhere and they will call 112, uh, the emergency no. services number. And um, they will direct the call to the nearest search and rescue team. Oh, wow. And then the search and rescue team will go through. So they're like, okay, this is a mountain job. So then we need these guys. Yeah. So, for example, if somebody was in the mountains just here and they said, yeah, we were on a hike. We're like a family or friends. And my friend slept a little bit. Now she or he is trapped just like on a sill just a little bit below she can't get her out and okay the the person um operators will then like get more uh, like specific information if they can give that on where exactly they are like gps coordinates or something like that or if they can just describe it like if it's somebody that's used to the area or has uh, hiked it a few times can probably give like accurate information which will then um 
be handed up to us like i will get a text and it will just say in the text will say like what the priority of it is like priority one is the highest priority or priority three which is like the lowest have you had any priority ones yeah 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 so if like here we are in an avalanche area so if it's an avalanche then they're usually priority one or um if it's like a group accident then it's also priority one yeah and i i know you can't get into specifics of like exactly like um different um call outs that you've had mm-hmm. that you've, you've had to do but like what are the most common because i because i heard like there's a on average there's like a tourist gets rescued a day here in iceland yeah so, it's so like, it really re- varies on where where in iceland you are like in the south where like most of the tourists in iceland go i'm guessing that most of what they're doing is helping out lost tourists or or stucks in the winter when their cars get stuck and when the volcano went off in the search and rescue team there did uh was very busy <laughs> yeah. and it wasn't there weren't enough people with the search and rescue team near the volcano in Reykjanes alone so the, we did a shift there as well for a weekend but uh, a lot of the search and rescue teams in Reykjavik were able to help out there uh, in Reykjavik because I'm still on the call out list in Reykjavik so I know like what's coming in and most of the search and rescue like call outs they get there is mainly like lost people within Reykjavik so um, maybe Alzheimer uh, people that ha- have gotten lost or forgotten where they live oh. that's quite common or or um, something that's a little un- less pleasant is also le- looking for people that might be suicidal oh shit <clears throat> so does that mean like for your search and rescue when you're in Reykjavik and like mm-hmm. being like um, specializing in the mountains does that mean Life got a bit more real when you moved north to Siglafoda, where we for are sure. now. For sure. So what what did the callouts kind of change to? Yeah. So now we're more like do, dealing with, especially now in the winter, we we have more of avalanche um, related callouts, and um, sometimes uh, the ambulance here needs to drive with a patient to Akureyri to the hospital there, which is an hour south from here, and. Um, they will need like an escort like from um, the search and rescue team. Is that because the roads are just so terrible? The roads are really bad and they might get stuck. So they will need assistance with that. So mm. um, and it's also you're also driving through like pretty bad avalanche terrain when going through there. Yeah. So the south of the tunnel from Ololsfjörður, uh, it's really bad in the winter time and it's really frequent to get avalanches on the road there. Oh, in uh, in... <clears throat> Has a f- no, what's that? Between Olosfjordur and Dalvik. And oh, and, and Delvik. Yeah. But even I got stuck here, the blizzard that Leaf and I got stuck in, and we're getting snowed in. We're trying to get to Olosfjordur, and the tunnels got snowed in, and we made yeah. it to the first tunnel, and we got out in what's the the field in the center? Dalvik. No, in no. between uh, Siglo and Olosfjordur. Oh, here in Sverdorf. Yeah, yeah. So we got we, we got through the Siglafjörder tunnel and we tried to get into the Olesfjörder one. It was yeah. snowed in. We couldn't get in. And so then we turned around and we tried to get into the Siglafjörder tunnel and we couldn't. It The part, because the oh, whole shit. road was covered in snow and mm-hmm. where the um, bollard was on the side was the only, it was like kind of the snow was banking up on this side. And mm-hmm. in that five minutes, it had filled in and we couldn't get in. So I was going back and forth and I had a four-wheel drive van. So it was kind of, 
all right, trying to make tracks. And then we had to just reverse back and then just punch it into the tunnel. And we slid through the snow into the tunnel, but then it was snowed in on this side Mm -hmm. and we had to um, sleep in the tunnel and wait for the plow to come through. Oh, adventure. It was was crazy, but it's like, but that makes me wonder. It's like, if someone gets lost in the mountains here, a lot of the time, like say someone's hiking in these mountains, it's because the weather's like something happened, like it goes white out Mm -hmm. of blizzard or something. But it's like, how do you guys go to rescue someone in conditions like that? Do you have like a call out where you where you can't go in? Or usually we don't get like rescuing people in bad weather. We do get bad weather call outs, but that's mainly because like things are blowing away, or roofs are blowing off, or something like that. Uh, but usually people are wise enough to not go out in situations like that. There have been. Um, <laughs> circumstances where um all the roads in iceland like are closed because we have like the website you maybe mm. know they show like red yeah the roads that are um, yeah it's like the bible closed. in winter yeah yeah but uh there was a call out last year that we, there was a car stuck on Siklaferdar uh road so the one the really sketchy one up north from here and we're like, what? And it was like a really bad weather and a bit of really bad weather as well. And there, all the roads in Iceland were closed except for this one. And we came to help these people out, um, some uh, foreign tourists. And we're like, yeah, we were asking like wh- why they were driving here. Like, oh, yeah, we just saw that that all the roads in Iceland are like like up in the north were closed but this one was open so and we wanted to just go like drive and see like in the next town i'm like why are you traveling in weather like this it's like i i i don't know this is one of the things i think about like what can we do to reach out to these tourists because for us it's common sense to not travel in weather like this but they're Mm. like yeah we 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 only have a week in iceland and we want to do as much as you can you know Mm. and you're like yeah but still just stay at home because you're also dragging us out to help come help you like we are in a sketchy area like there is avalanche risk and mm. and it's it's uh, it's actually often said to me steve even said it to me last week when we're uh on the way to um the we never went south music festival in uh Isafurda. yeah and we came from the south and that there's i don't know if you know like the death road i call mm-hmm. it the death road it's just okay. like it's never open in winter, but it's open right now. Mm-hmm. But it is just this psycho, rindy, yeah. like dirt road with yeah. clear drop-offs, and I just, I just couldn't even imagine what it'd be like mm-hmm. with ice on it. And yeah, anyway, we camped down in Belondeville, Belonde, Belondeville. Yeah, one of them. And then anyway, <laughs> we're going to go, and it was weird. We went to bed, and it was funny that night. I pulled off the road to park in where this hot pool was and straight away we sunk in mud because right now that the snows all melted yeah. the last couple of weeks everything's turned to mud right. and even though it looks like rocky it just sinks mm-hmm. so then we were stuck there for an hour trying to dig the car out in the mud got it out and then i was sitting there and then that night the wind was picking up it was getting more wild which had been a really nice day and i started getting this feeling i should drive the mountain pass now and then i was like oh no, don't worry about it I'll just go to sleep and then wake up in the morning, check the road map. The road's closed. Or it wasn't closed. It was, um, you know, white and yellow. Yeah. Like saying, it, and it snowed heaps overnight and it hadn't been plowed. And so I call Steve and, oh no, I mess, start messaging Steve because he's on the other side and say, oh, what, what's this weather looking like? What's happening here? He's like, yeah, it's been snowing up in the, the mountains. It's, um, 
yeah, it's bad conditions. And he just said to me, and I was like, oh, damn, the music festival starts tonight. And he's like, yeah, you're going to have to call, see when the plow's going through and just, just going to have to wait. And then he just said to me, which is something that has been said multiple times to me, <laughs> don't be a dickhead tourist. Like, don't be one of the tourists that go and try and make it happen. He's yeah. like, this is, it's always, this is Iceland. You wait, mm-hmm. you wait for the weather. And that's what, what humbles you so, so much you're here. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's. We, ju- we just know that the weather is in charge and there's nothing we can do to change it, you know? Mm. Like Mother Nature, this is her territory, you know? So, like, it doesn't matter what pl- what you have planned, you, you need to reschedule. Mm. And there just have been so many examples because there are in some places, um, like, they put out this, like, gate, you know, to, yeah. to show that it's closed, like these very, like, yeah. often driven driven roads, like, closed. But cars are still going around. Yeah. And then suddenly, like, the search and rescue teams get call-outs. Like, this is mainly in the south. Like, And then there's 200 cars stuck in the same, like, 100 kilometers. And you're like... And those were all cars, like, that disrespected, you know, the mm. clear gate that says closed, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, it's... Have you yourself ever got um, unstuck with the weather here? Like, have you been in the mountains on a hike and it's turned or like, you know, everything's going cold or wide out real quick? No, no. Only in my training. (laughs) Only because they put yourself in those situations. Yeah. Um, especially with the team I did my training, um, they're, they, they schedule, like, it doesn't matter what the weather is, you know, we're going in every weather. Um, some people ask like, but why, you know, you're, it's a like learning experience, you know, but I've learned so much from being in these, um, situations. Like mm. I, I've come to, uh, know, um, my tolerance. Yeah quite closely <laughs> well it's it's like one thing it's like just doing the crevasse rescue it's like one thing to when i was first did it in new zealand we did it on uh, like a park bench chair in a backyard you know mm-hmm. and then actually having to do it like the other day when uh you were doing it with us it was like snowing it was windy it was super cold yeah. and then you were remember you were hanging off the um over the side and we had to pull you up mm-hmm. and then steve was there and then he couldn't get the rope and then he took his gloves off mm-hmm. and started tying the rope and i was like and I was like, dude, like, you're about to go to minus 40. You can't take your gloves off. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I know, but I'll be more patient when, I do, <laughs> when I'm there. It's just like you, but like you get it. It's just so hard to, mm-hmm. to do it and react. It's funny, like uh, what you said just before, you know, because the weather ever turned, you're like, no, I don't go out in those conditions. And I was thinking like, fuck, it's happened to me heaps. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you check the weather, but there's also one thing that my friends are – the Icelandic guys are way better at reading the weather here than I am. Okay. Yeah, they're just always like that little bit more onto it. But uh, I don't know. We Just even driving to Delvik a couple of um, weeks ago when I was here with Runa and they had an Airbnb over the other side of Delvik. We were driving here. It was clear. And as soon as we um, left the tunnel, it just went wide out and blizzard. And I couldn't even see him three meters in front of me. No. And we all drove with our, our hazards on. But then people mm-hmm. coming the other way. And it was just this like kind of 20 minutes until we got to the place. It went dodgy and scary yeah. quick. Yeah. Yeah. What What would you say then to, to people and tourists that come here to, to Iceland? Like... You, because for you it's so easy to say because you've grown up with this type of weather, um, and now you're in the search and rescue team. It's like like you just said it before, like you know 
that this weather it's like how do you really describe it to people like because they say that they say it in iceland like if you don't like the weather wait five minutes Mm -hmm. it's like how do you really get that through to someone you kind of said it before but it's just like it's it's real here Mm -hmm. i feel like people like especially like living in cities they're just they're just used to like everything is made to be to suit the human you know yeah like you have you can have all these things like you have your phone in all these apps so anything you want you can get Mm -hmm. and now like the weather is telling you you can't do this now i think they just don't understand you know like they're this is this is gonna change your plans Mm -hmm. like somebody just wants to call the manager and you know see, see if they can make this happen but no it doesn't matter like what you need like ambulances aren't even gonna drive in some conditions you know because the weather is bad you know it's it's not somebody just trying to be mean it's just i think this is i think it's just a cultural difference you know as well you know you're not used to having this do you ever get bored in winter sitting inside like when you get stuck inside you know how like it'll go for a week straight with just terrible weather and you can't really be outside it hasn't really happened no i I just feel really good in my own company (laughs) really yeah i I had five days here once where i kind of went insane it was actually in this town up near where the soccer fields are i got snowed in up there the whole town it was blues and i was stuck in the van there for five days and the wind was that hectic that one of the nights the van blew about a meter and a half across because it was all ice that that car park there and it slid like it, the van slid yeah. sideways like that, and I suppose because that valley there and the wind just tunneling down. Yeah, yeah. It was um, pretty hectic. And then once I got out, I went and parked kind of down near the gas station or behind a building down near the fuel station just to mm-hmm. kind of hide from the wind. But it was just hectic, just being being stuck here. But it, 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 it's funny. I was just thinking about like the the difference of mentality when you come here and you really have to learn. It. And it's like I had this like kind of like anxiety about it. Um, kind of drumming it into people when mm-hmm. I had this mate Leaf, uh, one of my best mates. He came over and we had the most magical trip. But the first couple of days, he didn't really get it either, and he was like kind of teasing me because I was like, kind of these are the rules. And I was like, the first day we went, uh, we went surfing, and I had paddled out first, and he locked the car and put the keys up under a wheel, mm-hmm. and then I came in in um from the surf and i took my hood off took my gloves off yeah. and went to open the car door and i can't get in and now i'm like out in the snow with my hands and everything's going numb yeah. and it's like my core's dropping so quick and i'm sitting there and i'm like oh my god so then i'm searching under all the all, all the um wheel hubs trying to find the key and i can't find it. And i start panicking and then i end up finding the key and unlocking the thing and I, and I come in and I was like, dude, like you can't like do that. Like, he's like, oh, whatever, man. Like, it's, and I was like, no, no, ser- it's serious. Like it's, this is serious. Yeah. And he's like, oh, like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like I might do it. And I was like, no, like it's serious. Like I was like, you know, and he didn't kind of get it. And then I, I made, like I had this rule. I was like, oh yeah, by the way, like when it's windy, you can't open two doors at once. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, don't open two doors. And he's like. Are you being a, like what's wrong with you he's like you're being an idiot i was playing, like no i'm serious man like you can't open two doors and yeah. then and then anyway he, d- he didn't take it seriously and probably like the third or fourth day he yeah. was with me it was a psycho windy day and you know like when you open the door you got to hold on because it can just yeah. flick out and a right. lot of doors will snap yeah and 
I've, I've got it now and opened the door and the next thing he's opened the door and everything inside the van is just like and just going I'm like two doors and I start yelling out two doors and it became like the joke the whole trip this two yeah, doors but yeah. even on this trip we lost the sleeping bag we're in um, Neskadurda Neskafurda in the east Neskopstadur yes yeah. so, thank you and we lost the, a minus 20 sleeping bag what it was because this van that we have has two beds, one yeah. up the top and one down the bottom. Right. And same thing, super windy. I think I, when we kind of backtrack of how it happened is I was at the back door um, putting my surfboards in, just in one of the doors. And I think Steve opened the front door and because I was like bent down in the back, the wind just must have sucked from the top bed, the sleeping bag out and would have gone straight off the cliff. It's psycho wind mm-hmm. and to never be seen again but we didn't notice right until Shit. like five hours later when we were when we had driven across the north in Mervatan and it was like minus 15 and the heater's not working we go to go to sleep and he's like where's my minus 20 sleeping bag <laughs> you know comfort level minus 12 or yeah. minus 11 you know you'll survive oh. at minus 20 and it's and we're in this cold you know a car like becomes like this mm-hmm. you know ice box and we we got through with like I had another inner and he had a down blanket which actually and he slept up the top which actually worked but it was just funny like how quick it can happen mm-hmm. you know what I mean like how quick it can turn and it's like it's like now it's like I'm slowly learning because I'm Australian and that's why I kind of like it because it's like it doesn't make sense to me it's like mm-hmm. this whole new thing to learn it's like my buff kept freezing on me the other day yeah. it was so cold that I couldn't and my nostrils kept freezing. And so I'd put my buff because I got it on my ears and everything and I'd put it up above my mouth. But then when I'd breathe, it would freeze to my mouth. And I was yeah. like, what do I do here? <laughs> I don't under- what do you actually do in that situation? Because it's like... Um, I have sometimes worn two. Yeah, that's what Steve said. He goes, you just have another one. Yeah. Like, I have dry swap. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just learn to swap like with gloves, you know, because the yeah, air here is so moist. So they will quickly like get wet and then even more cold mm. so i'm always especially if i'm doing like mountaineer stuff i always just keep switching to dry dryer gloves rather mm. than trying to find like a thick system or something i just keep an extra one but i've also like just worn two buffs like one on top of the other because then the frozen layer will be the outer yeah. buff and the other one will still be a bit moist but it won't freeze as much oh, depending so... on the temperature of course yeah 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 Smart. I've, I've now I always take a spare set of gloves in yeah. my in my bag mm-hmm. because that's the thing that sometimes you really can't do anything. Like if you got your thick gloves on, I take. Oh, maybe I'll have inners on, mm-hmm. but depending on what the. Th- but I've put stuff down and it's blown away. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, one time, <laughs> one time I was in the mountains here, and I made a um bench for the snow for the split board for the yeah. snowboard. I was okay. I was I was swapping from um. And I was, it was in between the two, in between Siglifurna and Oldsford, and I was swapping between um, being on the split board and going to crampons. And so I dug out a little bench and everything and blah, blah, and then I put the um, snowboard together instead of a split board to a snowboard, and then it slipped. And it started sliding, and I just caught it. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, my God, imagine <laughs> if I just got stuck up here without my, my ride off. You know what I mean? It was just gonna it would take me a long time to to mm-hmm. hike out of here. Plus, like the added avalanche risk by my feet going down on every footstep, rather yeah. than just yeah. And it was just um, it's just funny. When I was in New Zealand, I dropped my ice axe and it fell down into a crevasse. <laughs> it 
It was so funny. And I was like, and I was saying to the boys, because none of us had uh, le- leashes on, on our ice axes. And I was saying, hey, I don't feel comfortable. I need to put a leash on. They're like, oh, they get in the road sometimes or whatever. And I was like, I was thinking, no, but I drop things, you know? Like, it's just a drop thing. But if I get nervous that I'm going to drop something, mm-hmm. it's like, then I'll drop it. Yeah. So now I've just made aware that I'm nervous I'll drop something. And the next thing, like, we're, we're going across this ridge and, like, kind of had to go down. Um, and then there was a there was a corner at the bottom of it. There was, like, like this crevasse and corner, so we had to kind of go over it. And then there was a couple of crevasses and we we're still coming down. And I just put my ice axe in. Next thing, I didn't put it in the snow hard enough. And I just I just knocked it, I think. And I just watched it slide. And I was like, oh, no, oh, no. And it goes over the edge and just oh. down into the crevasse. And I'm like, I can't see because it's down. I was like, oh, my <clears> God. But my partner had to lower me anyway down under there. So I was like, oh, please be there. Please be there. And because we're in the mountains, like I need it as well. Yeah. And so then he lowered me down and as I was being lowered over the corner, so I looked down and it was sitting on the edge. It had fallen about half a meter into the crevasse, but it was like kind of like on an edge and just stuck. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. That's so lucky. (laughs) Yeah. And then after that, I was like, okay, I have my leashes on all the time now because Mm. it's just like, it's so easy to, the thing is like what I like about it and even like surfing here is that it's real, it's serious. It's like you can have as much fun as you want, but it can turn on you. If you're not prepared, mm-hmm. it's like ba- bad. It's like when it's super cold, it's like, you know, I'll boil some water and have a furnace. Or I'll have the heater on in the van. Or, or I'll, I lay, lay out all my clothes like perfect ready. So when I'm in danger situation, I can jump in and get everything on and get myself like my core warm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it's just like. It's like we did it the other day in the mountains. Shelburne and I just went for a hike. It was blue, beautiful bluebird day. But I took the inreach. I took emergency blanket. Yeah. Um, well, I took my parka as an emergency blanket. I took a, a mat. I took all these other things. And, and she was kind of like, oh, do we need this? We need Like it's a nice day kind of thing. And I'm like, no, like it's like an ice If it turns so quick, you'd, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm tracking myself. Even though it's this beautiful day, I'm making sure if it goes wide out. And, and it didn't. Like mm-hmm. everything was perfect all yeah, day. Okay. But it's just like... Yeah. What's the dumbest thing you see tourists do? (laughs) (laughs) Dumbest thing. I don't know. Just, I I just find it really dumb that you ignore obvious things that you're not supposed to do. Yeah. Just going beyond like barriers or, or, you know, going over, passing a sign that clearly says closed due to bad weather and then you get your car stuck and you're like, oh, (laughs) didn't you not expect that to happen? You know? What's the scariest moment you've ever had in the mountains? Just, I think, I've never been, I think, by myself, like, really scared. Uh, no, me and Palme, we had an interesting uh, thing happen. Last year, like, it wasn't really good, like, snow. It was, everything was just ice. And we went up on the mountain here to the west of us um, with crampons and ice axe and everything. And it was, it's not an, even an interesting story, <laughs> but I've started anyway. Yeah. I um, no, I, I just remember like, I, I didn't feel very secure. Also, there had been some um, bad call outs recently and it was just kind of still, I hadn't shaken, shaken that feeling off. Uh, but we just also, it was a good thing to just go out and realizing also we know what we're doing. It's just good to do that as well. And it's, it's a steep 
mountain and we just wanted to hike up. It was a nice day. There was this split second. Palma was a little bit ahead of me and it got into like this safe zone. And I was telling him, I don't really feel good. And then he, as I was just saying that, he, he was putting himself in a position to reach out his hand. And then I slipped <gasps> and he just grabbed me in time. And if, if he hadn't, I don't know if I would have would have been able to self-arrest with the ice axe because just the ice was just really hard. Oh, yeah, it's funny. It's, it scares me like mm-hmm. how... Like, how slippery ice is and how much how quick you grab momentum yeah. we we're doing crevasse training in new zealand and my mate goes over and we're there it's my mate he's the same size as me probably the same weight and i'm there and i know he's going to fall right so mm-hmm. i'm ready to arrest and then cam goes the, our mate that was with us who was the the guide like cam's like all right blake jump and Blake's like, what jump? Like, <laughs> he's like, well, think about it. Like, if you fall, like, you're not going to, because Blake was getting ready just to, like, just slowly crawl down, yeah. crawl down and then <laughs> put his weight on the rope. And he's like, no, like, if you fell, like, you're going to jump. And he's like, what, just jump? And he's like, yeah. And what we had done, we had buried a backpack with um, some stiffeners in it, which was our um, ice stakes, just to kind of give it some more mass. And we buried that and put a secondary rope on that, on, on me. Yeah. But we, uh, yeah, he um, just jumped. And next thing, I've just gotten flown off my feet. Even though I'm ready, mm-hmm. I've gotten flown off my feet, let, hit the deck, and I'm just sliding down this hill. And I'm like, oh, my God, trying to jam in my ice axe. And I, and I'm, and I probably went like 10 meters. Like I went, yeah. I couldn't get over. Like we had 30 meters between us. And I just, I just went so fast. And I was like, oh, my God. Or maybe we had 15 meters between us, I think. Yeah, and I slid about 10, yeah, five meters to the edge. And then I had to get up with this rope so taut in between my legs and like cutting off my like, you know, gonads and the the circulation kind of thing and start and try and get out the tools out of my backpack, try Mm -hmm. and get the... um, my ice stake and dig in an anchor and then switch that weight onto the anchor, like everything, you know, for crevasse rescue. And I was like, this is insane. Like I was like... I was so scared because I was like, for someone even my weight, it was Mm -hmm. so hard to stop when it actually happened, even when I was prepared. And then when it was my turn down and I jumped over, I was like hanging for like so long. And then the boy's like, yeah, we're going to start pulling you up now. And they started pulling me up and the anchor that my mate set popped. So I fell another five meters until the secondary one (gasps) caught me. So I'm like getting like pulled up. I'm like, oh, yep, yep, yep. And then next thing, the anchor that the um, T anchor that he made mm-hmm. popped, and I fell. But the crevasse that I was in had like a, a flat wall, and it went into like a, a big cavern. Yeah. And so I fell down Swing. the wall and then swung into the cavern. And I'm like, oh my god, because you're in the abyss. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's real. And that was I was actually um, at that point. Uh, I had the shakes, like I was shaking yeah. in there because I didn't know and I couldn't hear what was going mm. on. You know, so you can't hear and you're like, this is, and the, the harness has started cutting off my circulation yeah. and you're like, I, st- oh, and then I dropped my glove because, <laughs> <laughs> so what, what happened was, is that it was, my circulation was being cut off in my main artery and my, on my thighs from the harness from hanging for so long and then mm-hmm. dropping down so hard on it. So I was trying to get like, I think the dog just, anyway, <laughs> I trying to get my, um, my hands to 
in between the harness and mm-hmm. I can't get it with the glove. So I take the glove off and I put my hand in to try and like give a gap to just release off that artery. Yeah. So because the feelings have gone in my legs. And as I've done that, I dropped the glove. Oh, shit. So then when the boys got me to the top, I was like, oh, hey, um, I... I dropped my glove down there, by the way, guys. And they're like, you're kidding. And I'm like, would you mind lowering me back down? And then, <laughs> so they're like, oh, my God. So then they lowered me back down. What they did, seems there was three of them up there. Instead of going through the whole crevasse rescue, they just three of them Pulled got on up. and just, just, just manhandled me yeah. up and just lifted me back up, which is, yeah. Which was, I suppose, an exercise. I guess this was a very like learning moment for you as well, you know. Yeah, now it's like that's why I always have two sets of gloves, and just it's just because things go so quick. It's from these experiences that you learn like what works and what doesn't, you Mm. know, and learning that you need to carry two sets of gloves and. Yeah, do you feel feel because of what you've done in the in the mountains and because of what you do that you have a mental toughness? Have you, have you, all this that you do, that you've learned, has it given you like more mental strength or strength to push on? Because that's what I always find about like mountaineers. It's like the other day when we're doing that training, it's like my feet were numb, my hands are in pain. Mm. Remember I had to put on the other jacket? Yeah. I was freezing mm-hmm. that day. <laughs> and then you guys like, yeah, cool. Just doing it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, I think like when it comes to, you know, like the cold, especially from working in Silra where you're cold every day, you know? even in the summer and because the water is just two degrees celsius that you're diving in and in the winter you're snorkeling all year round and you know you're there in february december doesn't matter what the weather is and you go in the water like two degrees and then you come out and it's minus 10 maybe so your suit freezes and everything freezes as you know like just from surfing you know yeah and not not only that um you have your eight like customers so mm. they they are experiencing this experience experiencing this for the first time this type of cold so they just turn into little children and you yeah. have to undress them you know because they can't they're cold and i'm cold as well like we're probably experiencing the same coldness yeah. but but they're experiencing it for the first time so you kind of like almost like in a parenting role you know Mm. so that has helped my like mental state when it comes to dealing with the cold you know i know i can't do anything about it yeah so it doesn't help thinking about it yeah i know i need to move to to get regain warmth um but yeah so like that day when we were doing the crevasse training (laughs) you know i was i was cold my feet were cold my feet are always cold Mm. you know my hands are always cold but I've just learned to deal with it. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's funny too how like how much you climatize too. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, now that I'm here, it's like today, like I was just walking around in my shorts at that hot pool today uh, at the top of the waterfall and I was thinking it must have been like eight degrees. I was like, this is such a nice day. And then I jumped in the cold water a couple of times and yeah. then I didn't have to get back in the hot and I was just like kind of cruising around. I was saying to Shelby like, oh, like it's so warm, it must be like eight or nine degrees. Mm-hmm. And then I got to the car and turned the car on. It said two degrees, and I was like, huh. Yeah. Like it didn't feel. I felt so warm. It was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, nice climatizing. But I, I kind of, I was just thinking about like what you said in those moments, and I was thinking about like getting out of the surf, and yeah, like you can't, you can't get your gloves off sometimes, mm-hmm. and you got to get your suit off, and you just got to do it. And it's just like, I kind of love it. I love when you just like just got to do it. Yeah. You know, and you're like, yeah, just, just do it because after you've done it you feel so good you yeah know, you just feel like yeah it's you're like, like oh, i did it 
it's like going on the climbing a mountain you know you get that satisfaction from getting to the top you know yeah i guess you can relate it to something similar to that it's for so, those people that know what that is yeah because everyone's like oh it doesn't seem fun to surf here and i'm like so much fun like because it takes on mentally as well mm. and when you're done you know you, you feel mentally stronger yeah that that day that we had at olisferda uh it was just this like sideways blizzard going straight in the face and you get you get the brain freeze just from duck diving mm-hmm. but this day you're getting the brain freeze just from the wind and the air and you're trying yeah. to shake it and everything's freezing on on you and, and every time I, after i got a wave i kept being like no that's enough i'm going in and then i'd say to myself no just one more just one more and then i'd start paddling back out with the wind in my face and i'm paddling out and every time i hit like the water because it was a little bit choppy mm-hmm. it'd spray on me and then freeze mm-hmm. like the the spray but and it was like the the pain but i just kept like you i always just go to the breath and i'm just breathing through just going no nah, just do it just do it mm-hmm. just do it and then i did it and at the, at the start it's so hard to do it and then once you kind of keep saying like no just go just go just go yeah. You kind of get used to it, and mm-hmm. you just keep doing it. And then that day, I stayed up for like an hour and a half. Like I was the last in the in the water, and it just felt so good that when I was in for probably fifteen minutes, I was like, "Nah, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. This is it. I give up." And then I was like, "No, just one more." And I kept saying saying that to myself. And there's a there's a training regime that you could that mountaineers do, which I said I was going to do, and never ended up doing it. When we're going to go to New Zealand. Um, and what it is is you you park your car um, with the keys in it, like or whatever. You you park your car somewhere, and you do a circuit run. So a lot of the times it's like they say do it at like two a.m. in the morning or whatever. So you get up or three a.m. You get up, go park your somewhere car, park your car somewhere, and do a circuit where you run past your car, like say like every once a kilometer. You know what I mean? So but every time you run past your car, you have the option to give up. So you're like, you know, it gets really hard and you're really tired and you're like, oh, one more lap. And then you go past your car and you're like, okay, should I stop? And you're like, no, one more. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because that's what the kind of mental state you have to have in the mountains or mm-hmm. in the ocean here mm-hmm. is that it gets painful and sore and you've got to say, no, keep going. You've got to say it to yourself. You're like, mm-hmm. no, just just push on, you know? And it's, um, yeah, and I find it fun because every time I do it, I feel so alive after like you feel so accomplished yeah for sure yeah yeah you're just used to that because that's what you do <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i felt yeah. also like from my training my two-year training because it mm. was every other weekend there were some kind of course going on mm. and sometimes it was more like based inside and outside where we slept at home or sometimes we went out for the weekend and just stayed in tents i think it was like maybe 50 50 like that we're like going out in t- tents maybe even more staying out in tents and you just we went in all weathers and we were hiking in all weathers and like some some weekends we were wet the whole weekend and some weekends we were cold the whole weekend Mm. and some people ended up with frostbites but every every weekend was difficult but but you felt so great afterwards yeah and there was also just like this routine after we got we got back into the city on a Sunday, like midday, maybe four or five o'clock. And we would always go to a pool. We all decide what pool are we going to go to? And we will chat in the pool. And then we always went out for dinner as well. Yeah. And it was just, it was just so nice, you know, and then you got to know these people as well. So well. Yeah. Cause everyone did it. 
Yeah. It's like you all did it. It's such you a know, great okay, bond yeah. as well. Like when, when you suffer together, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, we ever, we would have like camp or like tent buddies. So there was usually like three in each each tent. Mm. And so we would have to like coordinate with each other before. Like, what are you bringing? Okay, how are we gonna split? You know, carrying like I, I will carry the tent. Will you carry the cooking gear or whatever? Yeah, yeah. It's like <clears throat> kind of like I suppose even to the, the the point of this. It's like how much life is better when you suffer a bit. And they've even it's like I listened to the Huberman podcast, this science podcast where he did a, where the, he was talking about the study on that on like dopamine, just about how when you make your life more a bit more difficult in areas of how happy you are. Mm-hmm. It was like kind of like, I think the podcast like key to happiness or whatever, and that's why ice bars you get such huge dopamine hits because you suffer. Okay. And you, yeah, it's like yeah, but okay, brilliant. Well, I think um, and Shelby, is there anything you want to ask Brenda's before we before we leave? Nope. yeah i think brinders i think you're a badass <laughs> and i think it's so cool just seeing like um these strong icelandic women mm-hmm. like getting out in the mountains and just rescuing people <laughs> yeah i would definitely like to see more women yeah is is that a thing like do you how do you feel like especially out here compared to Reykjavik where where you said it was 50 50 like are you like is there What's the word that I could say? Like, are you respected? Or is there, like, is there any, like, do people know your strength in the mountains? Or do you feel like you're... I feel I've definitely had to prove myself. Like, um, coming here and already knowing what I know. Like, no, nobody was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you've already done this trading and you've already done these courses. And I, I still felt like I had to really prove, prove myself here. Mm. What... What advice do you have to young girls now that you've gone through your pilgrimages and, and, you know, like you went and traveled and you went and like found yourself kind of thing. And now you're like, you're literally like, you know, you've kind of found your strength as well. Like if, if you could say anything to your younger self, like that 15 year old girl and you, like, what would it be? It's a hard question, put it on the spot. But like, yeah, I think... no, I would encourage myself to go like outside. Um, the reason I went also to the search and rescue team is because, you know, I didn't have anybody in my life that was doing this, you know. So that was my like in into learning how to be, live outside, you know, and how to enjoy the outdoors, you yeah. know. So <clears throat> I would have never um, discovered this otherwise or yeah no i i don't know like i would tell myself to you know join the scouts or something you know because yeah. they are outside you know yeah. um i sometimes like think about because I, I feel like started quite late you know doing this and sometimes think about what if i started sooner um i would have because i also started traveling iceland a lot later then like Palme, for example, he's seen all of Iceland, all the highlands. Yeah. And now I'm starting and everything has been like, um, how, how can you say it? Like it's, it's made more convenient for the tourists, you know? Yeah. Everything is just paved roads and, and you're like, I'm talking about a, a certain place with Palme and how I want to go there. And it's like, yeah, but it's not the same anymore. And I'm like, oh. Feel like i've kind of like missed out yeah. on these things you know 
So it's like, yeah, yeah, get after it while you can. Yeah. While you are young and able. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about too what you said about telling the younger self to like go to scouts or go go out and just learn how to be outdoors. And that's mm-hmm. a, a thing that's like for, for me to relate to that is like, yeah, learning how to be in the cold. When I first came here or first experienced the cold, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. And that's what was fun is learning how to do it. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, yeah, I, I know. And like you can go out and have fun because you yeah. know how to be outdoors. And just like in Australia, like learning the ocean, it's like I can go play in the ocean. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. I think that's a brilliant lesson. Just like start somewhere or find people that are doing it so you can yeah. go and like, but you can do that. It's like, yeah, playing outdoors. Let's well, think about it. It's like being a kid. It's like what we did as yeah. a kid. Like all we wanted to do was play outdoors. Like, you know. It's like, and we had that curfew. Well, for me, it was like when it went dark, you had to be home. And you're like, but you yeah. didn't want to. And you're always late and <laughs> late for dinner. Or mum would come out and yell, dinner, down the street. And, and yeah, it's just also, you know, just following like what you want to do. Because everybody's kind of, or my experience was that everybody was just kind of following like the mainstream. And and everybody was kind of doing the same. Nobody was a like wanted to do anything different or be different yeah. as well so i was just also just kind of following the stream and yeah definitely just i would have there was just also like information missing for me yeah. like on what i could do that's funny that's the one lesson that i'll give my younger self too is that you don't have to follow the mainstream because mm-hmm. that's that's the one thing that took me a while to kind of really figure out and it was fighting with myself because of what I felt inside I wanted to do and what I felt I had to. And yeah. when I actually found that or like realized I didn't have to, it was a huge load off my shoulders. And I was like, it was kind of like, I was like, oh man, I've missed out on a few years. I could have been having heaps of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, let's get out of here. Let's have another cup of tea. <laughs> and we're sitting here in your nice house, this beautiful house, looking at these mountains and um. Yeah, thanks. Thank just, thanks so much for for that time and just for you know telling the Australians that are going to be listening to this <laughs> your life here in Iceland is really beautiful. So yeah, thanks so thank much. Thank you for coming. <laughs> thanks, Brenda. Thanks. Now, guys, if you like this episode, feel free to share it for me. Take a screenshot, put it on your social media stories. Tell your mate. Tell your mum. Thanks heaps for listening, guys. I'll see you guys next time. I do it like a double.